Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. If you do not want these human jerks spoiling the movie, stop the recording, for the rest of you. Do you want to play a game? Hello everybody, and welcome to the movie Trap. Uh, I am Zach Powers. With me as always, in our normal alphabetical clockwise <laughs> fashion of introduction. Uh, I'm Russell Carlson. And I'm Chris Boroff. Uh, technically incorrect, but still. <laughs> in some semblance. Yeah, right. I think we just got the direction wrong. Um, Much like this fucking movie. We are, uh, we are, we are doing, uh, we are doing some some Halloween spook em ups mm-hmm. this time. It's a scary everybody, movie trap. Everybody, uh, you know, carve a jack o' lantern and <laughs> sit out in the leaves and eat some candy corn and, you know, yep. make sure to only give, uh, you know, the kids like the crappy Three Musketeers or something, you know, so you could hoard it all later. Be somewhat more nervous about us than the election because it's sooner for you than it is. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> We're back yeah. in time. <laughs> yeah, by the time this comes out, I will not be sleeping. I'll just be like, come on, come on. How's it coming? How's it coming? Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, go check yeah. 538 or whatever your poll of preferences. <laughs> <laughs> Frantically refresh Twitter to, to, to check on whatever fucking craziness is happening in this fucking country. Um, um, so, yes, this is round two. This round goes to one Zachary Powers, as I went first right. with uh, Phantasm. So, and the theme this week, after a very process that we did, uh, was move, scary movies from the year 1961 to 1979. 1960 to 1979. All right, Psycho I keep cutting is eligible, thank you very much. All right, fair enough. If Chris chooses to employ it. <laughs> Still, 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 meat on the bone. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody, mm-hmm. everybody's trying to get me to drop what it is before the end of show, and I've just been like no snitches on this thing the whole time. I have like, so I many suspicions. Anybody. I have so many suspicions. <laughs> I, 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 Russell and I have graciously left him with probably, if you were to make a, the ten most influential horror movies of this time period, I don't think Russell or mine would probably crack that list. Um, I think you. Can, I, think, I will hear arguments for this one. Not phantasm. I will. I will hear arguments. I won't agree, but I'll hear them. Regardless, my pick was 1973's "Don't Look Now," um, or uh, I believe in Italian it was called "In Venice." A, sh- uh, a shocking red December. <laughs> you know a title's great when it's got an ellipsis, right? Like yeah. that's what a title really. Ah, you, know, you can really do well. December rosa shocking. <laughs> yeah, you have to you wonder can... why they couldn't just say "Don't look now" or whatever the title was originally in the Italian. Daffy. Yeah, the well, Daffy uh, okay. Demorier story. I, I don't yeah. want to. I don't get it. What is the title? Don't look at what? These nobody's really looking at anything. Well, they're, clearly they're yeah, listening this is a and thinking. Podcast. Don't look at the murder dwarf. Uh, that's <laughs> right. Yes, yes, I know. Right. Well, I didn't because anyway. Well, I'll get into that later. Regardless, um, this is based off a short story by Daphne Demorier. We'll talk about that later. But she is most she's famous for stories like Rebecca, My Cousin Rachel, The Birds. Uh, and this, mm-hmm. um, it is my choice. So it is a 
contingent upon me to give a brief description of what occurs in this film. Uh, if I would you say, can. Yeah, well, it's it's not <laughs> super plot heavy. As I said, it's based on not a full book, but like a short story. So plot wise, it's pretty, pretty scant. Basically, Donald Sutherland and uh, Julie Christie play a married couple. And early in uh, Donald Sutherland works restoring old churches. And early in the film at their England home, uh, their daughter, uh, who is wearing a shiny red Mac, accidentally drowns. Um, Donald Sutherland seems to almost immediately know what happened before he could possibly know and runs out to recover her body from the creek all too late. Um, they also have a son who they who is only there to draw away the mother. He has no function <laughs> no. in the plot beyond beyond drawing away the mother. Um, but they go to Venice some amount of time later. It's not entirely clear how long it's been. Um, they're not immediately like in the aftermath of mourning their daughter, but it's been somewhat recent, we can infer. Less than a year? Yeah, I would say less than a year. It's been fairly recent. It feels like it feels like we're leaving something out when we're describing it this way, though. Like the the editing for this is extremely strange as it's going through. Well, I so, can't. I, if I'm gonna talk about the plot, uh-huh. I can't. It's oh, just, okay. Gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. The we are gonna tunnel through this, Boris. Right, okay. We can talk about the editing later. Gotcha. That's a different gotcha. thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. That we can all. I'm telling you what happens in the fucking movie. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they're in Venice. Uh, uh, the wife meets uh, a pair of sisters, one of whom is blind uh, and claims to have the second sight and says that her daughter is with them and happy and it seems to do a great deal to relieve her grief. Uh, Donald Sutherland thinks she is a crazy person for believing these two sisters and consistently seeing them. Uh, Eventually, the sisters claim that Donald Sutherland is in danger uh, during his time in Venice. Meanwhile, uh, there are Donald Sutherland, who may be psychic, is seeing occasionally visions of a child in a red Mac. Um, yeah, the, the suggestion is there that he's psychic but doesn't know it. That exactly. he might have second sight, but he's so rational minded that it's the beyond. Yeah, yeah the, sh- the shinning. Yeah, he there. Even at the beginning, when the the little girl dies, like there's he an implication that he mm-hmm. has kind of a premonition about it. He's yeah. So he's seeing visions of a child in a little red Mac, and uh, eventually, what occurs is the wife leaves because their son is injured. He is left alone in Venice. Um. He almost he has a near fatal accident and comes to believe that maybe there is something to this prophecy about him being in danger and his daughter perhaps being around or seeking resolution uh, from her parents. Uh, he follows the uh, the child in the red, little red Mac one night, sort of at the the far ends of his paranoia after thinking he sees his wife on a boat and things. Yeah, there's a um, subplot where he like thinks he sees his wife and spends an entire day panicking that she's gone. And exactly. then when he, he finds out she's not gone, she returns and he's somewhat in a moment of relief. But he's just out wandering around and sees this little red 
smock child. And And it's worth noting that in the background, there have been a series of murders going on in Venice at this time. Yes, I was about to say, we really Um, leap over that because it seems kind of important at the end. (laughs) I I don't know, but... Yeah, the it was twist, well, yeah. If you know two things about this movie, uh, this is probably one of the two things. He follows the child in the red Mac to an abandoned uh, chapel or something. And when it turns around, it is a scary looking dwarf that murders him on the spot. And it turns out it was the murderer that has been terrorizing Venice. Yeah. And, and not and- his deceased child. Yeah, and when he thought he saw his wife earlier in Venice and went on that whole thing chasing her around, it was, it was the actually funeral. a yeah, it was a premonition of his own he funeral. Was de- he was a ghost his, the whole yeah. time of his own funeral <laughs> in the Venice canals. Yeah, uh, and that is, in a nutshell, the story of "Don't Look Now." But there is more to talk about than simply the bare bones plot. Indeed. Indeed. No, I, I mean, like, yeah, I'll, I'll run off the bat. I didn't particularly enjoy this movie, um, but I guess I appreciated it for what it was. Like, my appreciation for it didn't deter from me wanting to, like, stab my eyeballs out because there's a lot of cool stuff going on in this movie. Um, but, it, you know, like, the, the idea that this is a horror movie is kind of a stretch, though. Yeah, it's a um, of a thriller. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it uses the... Uh, I wrote this down like it it uses the terror comes from atmosphere rather than the action. That's where the real dread and doom comes from. Um, And and this movie does it pretty good with the editing and some of the music and and certainly a lot of uh, the scenery that they use. Um, But it's it's, it's a bit of a stretch to call it a horror movie. There there is no real manifestation of... This the, dread, really. The death scene at the end is pretty intense. Right, the murder also, dwarf. I forgot. Yeah, right. There's the mur- yes. their murder dwarf, and then there's also all the dead bodies they keep pulling out of the wharf. The canals, and there's, yeah. Yeah, out of the canals. Um, yeah, but a lot of the... A lot of it was definitely more texture and sort of sense of the space in the film, because it feels very claustrophobic at the same time they're on the water. But the yeah. editing also... it's It's strange because it starts... Using editing, they're communicating to the audience the concept of being psychic in a way that isn't, uh, it's just not the standard way you do it. It's not all that straightforward. You yeah. it, you kind of have to interpret that. And then you kind of, I mean, the way Donald Sutherland just sort of storms out of there is a good way to convey it. But the editing, and plus it sets a tone right away for the film. The whole film is like that. So it really does get you, get your seatbelt on because there's going to be some sharp cuts. And, you know, don't look away now. But, you know, you might miss some frame or two intercut that is demonstrating Sutherland's power but also you as the audience your sense of dread and fear yeah it's kind of tonally the opposite of uh the editing for the movie slaughterhouse five where whenever they jump giant time periods it's always done in a seamless camera shot Hmm. to mess with the audience Mm -hmm. so it's just Uh, funny because go ahead yeah uh so um yeah i I do think that uh a lot of this movie uh, more than horror there's like moments of perhaps dread or tone but it's also something of a last time we discussed phantasm and in its way phantasm is a deeply 
1970s movie. Very true. And this, uh, in addition to continuing the theme of murder dwarves, <laughs> uh, is also a deeply 1970s movie in a way that I would say is quite different. Um, I don't... So, Phantasm seems slapdash and random and jarring in terms of its plot and unfocused perhaps in terms of its script but never boring this is an extremely slow movie for the most part um it's dreamlike it's experimental in its editing um plot wise it's sparse in a way that phantasm is full mm-hmm. but I, I just think that there are yeah. two different aspects of the 1970s. Yeah. Um, it, uh, both yeah. have a sort of similar, like, I don't know. It's weird to use this sort of phrase for a film, but the kind of the smell of the seventies, you know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> it just, it, it just oozes through the celluloid. Right. Um, and it, it's great. That's, I mean, the seventies part and, and a lot of this film I did particular, like I said, I appreciated. Um, I just didn't really have a good time watching it. Um, but <laughs> The, uh, the, your point about, uh, Phantasm and how it's sort of the opposite of it. And it's funny because both Phantasm and Don't Look Now, I would say grief is the thrust of it, or at least not so much Phantasm, but like the big twist at the end of Phantasm has that. Accidentally. Yes, indeed. Oh yeah. And we've, we've (laughs) covered that for sure. Here it's it's very intense. That's the whole point Mm -hmm. of the movie. I mean, this Um, is, this is adapted from a story written by an author who was a real author who, wrote yeah. good stories yeah no and, yeah. and 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 even you know when you scroll through the imdb page they talk about the scene in the church where right after uh julie christie meets the uh the psychic sisters mm-hmm. um who i think it's important that they're not from venice no. um they're from the united kingdom they're immigrants as well i guess Tourists, um yeah. to well yeah i mean they it seems like they kind of live there but i it doesn't make sense but i i, I think, think they jump hotels at a certain point yeah i, I, yeah, I don't know about going home because the heat is on yeah well as they were introducing them it started sounding more and more like they were sort of uh, hucksters that they uh yeah it, it leaves yeah. it open to the audience interpretation for a long portion of the film as to whether those two are really what they say they are yeah, um, and I, I, I wanted to bring that up because, like, a part of the power of this film is using Venice itself as this sort of strange place, you know, the architecture and using it in the dead of winter when it's not tourist season, you know, is a pretty bleak, lonely place, I imagine. And even having the people there be so, you know, not like Donald Sutherland, you know, they, they don't even put subtitles for the Italian. Um, uh, it adds to the sense of confusion and sort of frenzy that is this movie it's an interesting i think the uh one thing i'll say about the the use of venice before i forget is that a i don't know if exactly this type of venice exists nowadays granted in 30 years venice probably won't exist but <laughs> um but this it's a type of venice i've never seen portrayed in movies as far as i can remember which is a lot of time when it's labyrinthine and when they're going through these different places there's so many old like unrepaired forgotten nooks and crannies to this city um it's it's interesting i venice is always portrayed so romantically and mm-hmm. so 
beautifully and here like at night it's like being trapped in a maze that's that's like a dying decrepit forgotten walled yeah. off yeah, yeah. you're really you yeah, feel yeah. like you're out of time you know yeah. like I, have, I have either of you guys read the actual uh, story it's based off of or no I have not no. I'd be curious too, because I I couldn't find a copy to read for this. I was just wondering how much of it was in the original versus this, because I I remembered reading a little bit on this, and this was a co-production between I think England and uh, Italy. Um, so it was interesting to kind of see how that came together during that time period. Uh, I yeah, know, especially did, the seventies. Yeah, what did you guys think of the sex scene? Out of, just out of curiosity. Uh, so the, <laughs> the sex scene is like, again, one of the things about it is it's edited in the way that is indicative of a lot of this movie. So we briefly talked about the editing. This is somewhat relevant here. They'll have flashes to things that will happen later, happen before or happen roughly in the same time period as the sex scene, you know, them going about their day or a flash that reminds them of their loss or something while they're having sex and then cut back to the sex. It's, uh, it was very, I know that it was very shocking at the time. Yeah, it was pretty controversial. Shocking now. Yeah. Except, uh, (laughs) I don't think, uh, a major film would feature a sex scene that was sort of this naturalistic and featuring people that look this normal, perhaps. Yeah, I think. I mean, sure, sure. I mean, I've seen sex scenes like that in other movies. Like, I think Mm -hmm. uh, a history of violence uh, Mm -hmm. had a specifically kind of an odd sex scene in it. But Mm -hmm. it's always odd how these are like shown because people always talk it up, and there's like a whole, you know, theory that it was unsimulated and yada 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 and all this other kind of nonsense. But um, it's just always stuck out to me as odd that this is somehow a super sexy scene, and I wondered if it was just because of like. I think it was um, just because of the time. I mean, like yeah, pornography so. was not really a like, thing yet. I mean, he was this like, is... He's like brushing his teeth and then it goes into that scene. Like, it's just yeah. odd because that scene is triggered by him brushing his teeth. Like everybody brushes teeth. There is a weird teeth. thing with toothpaste in this. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I thought like it, 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 I felt it pretty distracting to be honest with you not because of how shocked i was of my you know puritan values or what have you uh it was more of just how awkward it seemed for everybody involved um like it it, it did seem like julie christie and 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 also that were doing their their loving best but it did seem kind of because of the way it's shot and the way it's performed it just felt awkward and it's not out of yeah. place because i understand why that scene is in the movie it's sort of to show that like this is not particularly a couple that necessarily hates each other um the the i i would say you know bro zach you brought up the fact that like the the psychic sisters sort of relieve uh julie christie's grief i I would argue that it almost awakens it um because it correct the sex scene happens almost right after the the sisters meeting or has it happened before it, I can't it happens remember. After. after. Yeah. Okay. So okay. they meet uh, yeah. the sisters during the brunch. Okay. That day. Yeah. And then that evening, uh, I think probably intentionally so. Uh, obviously, the Julie Christie character is. I think the vibe is supposed to be. 
reinvigorated for the first time since okay. the death of their daughter. Okay. I mean, like, I, 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 I was just, conf- I, I just wanted to pause at that because I wasn't, I, yeah. I, I was it, it, hearing that, it that it relieved her grief was sort of a different vibe that I was getting throughout the film because it almost seems like she's finally addressing it. She's finally yeah. looking at sort of square in the eye. Um, yeah. But I mean, you could you could imagine that a couple going through that uh, of losing a child like that would have a pretty fraught relationship, especially in the sex yeah. life. So I, I got this sense that the sex scene was more of a catharsis for her and for him, though it was not performed or shot that way. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, that's how I felt. I mean, I, yeah. I, I didn't I didn't really care. That's, well, I, think, that's I think character wise, it made sense for like a long term relationship to kind of see that it got back to that point. Um yeah, it was a little a little intense with how like uh frank the sa- the scene was. Yeah. Um but have you guys seen the other Nicholas Rogue movies? Um like A Man Who Fell to Earth. I have not. Apparently, uh, I not I, I've seen A Man Who Fell to Earth. I forgot that he did that. Um, yeah. but I was very young and in high school and probably blasted on drugs. Okay. Um, okay fine. So. Well, we can we could rewatch that one at some point. Just the okay. this, this sex scene. We'll do a um, Bowie. We'll do a Bowie theme. That'll be a, easy. There's a sex scene in uh, A Man Who Fell to Earth which is interestingly a pair is paired with this cuz it's it's also an awkward sex scene that involves Rip Torn oh. and a lot of a lot of Rip Torn nudity as a young seventies man. In his day, he was kind of a he wasn't he was a pretty handsome man. Hey man, that's um, fine. But I'll know him forever as, of course, you know, Artie from Larry Sanders show. He was mm-hmm. fucking god uh, for that role. I should say, Shannon read the summary for what the story this is based on is about and by her description the this is a fairly faithful adaptation uh it's also worth noting that demornier herself demornier herself was a fan of this adaptation uh and it's also worth noting that while she has not read this Shannon has read some of her other work like Rebecca and my cousin Rachel. Obviously, Rebecca adapted by Alfred Hitchcock in 19. Oh, you just got my point, buddy. 40. I was my point was going to go to the person who mentioned Hitchcock before I did. Oh well, there you go. Uh, and Hitchcock also adapted The Birds, which she also wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, per Shannon, I have not read one of Demoria's works. Uh, this is closer in tone to what her stories feel like than the work of, say, an Alfred Hitchcock. Um, um, one, I can appreciate that. I, one thing I should say really quick on that note, um, evidently the birds and Rebecca were both um, at one point uh, held uh, in contention for having been um, plagiarized. Uh, at one point, um, a significant time uh, after... Uh, I can't remember exactly how it worked out, but there was a writer in Spain who claimed that Rebecca was her work and just would not give them the rights to it until her dying day. And the other one was a writer who wrote a short story about the birds. So it was just one of those things. <laughs> anyway, these they were both found to be specious and she was cleared of those things. But the odd thing is with the Spanish one that they had the exact same plot and story. <laughs> anyway, go for it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, well, my, my <laughs> no, point is, I, I, is concluded. I, yeah, this is, I think the more conventional film storytelling of Hitchcock is actually probably less like the dreamy, trance-like, macabre, sort of ominous t- feeling that her work generally uh, 
uh, elicited than this movie was, is is my understanding, based on secondhand accounts. Uh, uh, and she herself was a fan of this film, so. Well, and you, this film does permeate with strong Hitchcock vibes. Um, yeah. th- there's a lot of paranoia. There's a lot of, I mean, like Vertigo was the first film I thought of, like where it was just like, you're kind of following one dude. It's Donald Sutherland sort of most of the time. I mean, you're kind of following Julie Christie a little bit, but she's more of a catalyst to what right. eventually happens to Donald Sutherland. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I, I just think that, um, yeah, it, it is. It's got a lot of Hitchcock vibes, and I I very much understand that. But I and also I mean Hitchcock. By the time he was doing those movies, I mean the, these are almost you know the Birds was done and you know whenever. So like it, it it is a different time period to where somebody like this guy can get kind of rogue with it. You know, like the seventies were a lot more of a. You got my point for making a was, pun. Was that an intentional pun? That yeah, was. I mean, okay. you, you yeah, got my point totally. For the pun. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know me, dude. I'm a big fan of fucking puns. I'm a huge fan. Um, but yeah, no, I, and that's why I think that this movie gets a lot of, I, I understand the legacy of this film. Like I do, like it's a little, it's considered one of the best British films ever made, apparently. Um, well, though it takes place in Venice. It's definitely one of the most often referenced in film school movies because it's used as like an example of experimental editing and elliptical editing and you know yeah, i mean but so yeah. is carnival of souls and that fucking movie sucks so i mean yeah like, I, yeah yeah um it, 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 <laughs> it, like it, it, it's again i saw that i didn't i i appreciated what this movie did for what it was um but like i said it's not particularly fun watching it's it's not particularly like a joyful film even for a horror movie like say what you will about phantasm we've said plenty um but at least it was more or less like it's it's a more of a traditional ride than this movie is but that being said i appreciate the idea of using human emotion as the actual terror as the as the monster let me let me let me give one of my points to Russell on this one because I think he hit on oh, something that uh, uh, is true for me as well, which is watching this movie, there's a lot in the scene-to-scene way it's constructed and edited uh, that I intellectually appreciate, that I understand, that I feel is effective in creating an atmosphere and creating tension and creating dread. And also, I've, as someone who doesn't like it when people say old movies are boring, man, this thing's a little boring. Uh, <laughs> just a little bit. It's, it's, there's a lot of walking around Venice. Yep. It, you're building an atmosphere. It's too much, movie. All right. The sex scene was like crazy for being whatever confrontation like too like insane at the time now it's just like this sex scene isn't shocking me it's just a little too long (laughs) (laughs) but you know you you can't really look away because you've already set the pace with this film if i look away i'm gonna miss an important cutaway that like is going to significant you know signify some poor telling of the lens the lens flare for a second and right yeah, yeah it's just yeah. funny because when you compare something like this to like mandy a lot of people say mandy is a very slow movie but there's a lot happening in mandy in yeah. this one it's like it, there's just a lot of talking and dread 
but it's also that thing with the editing that you were describing. It's more like um, an intellectual process. You don't feel it. So it's, you know, sort of like when you watch a whodunit, you already know that someone's going to know who kills somebody at the end, then they're going to find them. So everything before that point is just ticking off boxes as you go through it. Yeah, I feel I feel it's very dreamlike. Mm -hmm. And I'm certain that. That was the intention. Yeah. If you could watch them objectively would uh, plot wise not move (laughs) greatly quickly, (laughs) but are enthralling in their oddness. And uh, perhaps this evokes this, but uh, also, you know, it's it, at times if you're I mean, it's a chore. It's yeah. a chore. If you're not in the right, if you're not up for it, it's going to be it's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a rough. One. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, even when I was I watched this in the morning, um, like very early in the morning and then Sarah woke up and she's like, is this supposed to be a horror movie? And I'm like, I guess, you know, <laughs> like it, it, like you, I, I understand why it's considered like in the genre because, for one, the murder dwarf. I'll get to that in a second. Well, we'll um, have but, to eventually. Yeah, I mean, it. yeah, right, because it is only the whole point of the fucking movie. Listen, listen people seem to this uh-huh. episode and they're like, there are two things I got to talk about: the sex scene and the murder dwarf. That's right. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, but it, it, so it, I appreciate movies that don't fit in a box, and that's why it is more of yeah, the thriller category than a horror category. But because it deals with this kind of quasi supernatural ESP thing which I, I didn't write this down but I mean like correct me if I'm wrong was like ESP like a big thing in the 70s like this yeah. is like a, okay yeah, that's what was. I thought yeah that's what all, I thought. all that stuff was uh pretty popular in the 70s I looked up some of the interviews about this and they were asking Donald Sutherland at one point like what his thoughts were and he thought that the film was too critical on the concept of ESP that he wishes something positive would come out of people's lives or would come into people's mm. lives and, I don't know. That stuff's very strange. Like, if, if you ever get to see... Uh, a lot of films in the 70s did that. Um, also, um, the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers was another one where it's just, like, all this transcendentalism. Another Donald Sutherland yeah. Yeah, joint. Indeed. Yep. Um, also, my wife said that Donald Sutherland, when he's traipsing around um, with his haircut and the scarf totally looks like, looks like tom baker exactly bingo <laughs> yeah Tommy, I mean, that's exactly what she's like is she what because she was still kind of half yeah. asleep so is he watching a doctor who episode which would uh-huh. not be out of character um but then she's like oh this is not a doctor who episode yeah yeah <laughs> my a sarah. blue coat and like a 70s ass mm-hmm. scarf and belt yeah, my, my sarah said the same thing she okay was like, okay yeah. yep good for tom, the sarah tom baker good. Tom Baker, he's the man, still the man. Yes, um, also agreed. So there okay. You go. Hey, all right. Hey, look, guys, I'm not going to say a lot, but we know how to pick them. Uh, speak, um, speaking of actors, real quick, uh, how, how did you guys feel about the inspector, the Italian inspector? Did he seem a little strange to you? It was, was my favorite weird. part. I loved it, though. I fucking loved it. I really, because yeah. that would let me, this is why, I mean, like, again, I know a movie doesn't want me to lean into a punch, but I, I was sort of thinking, like, is there more going on to this? Because Venice does seem very strange, and everybody's acting very, is there some sort of, like, state communist conspiracy now? And that's what they're not supposed to look at? I, I really, my brain went there, and the way this guy performs, it almost seems like it, because he's so uh, <laughs> fucking, like, intense about it. <laughs> and like yes mr bond you know like yeah. it, it, he, he, uh, he does seem like he's keeping something secret from everybody <laughs> or trying to play them to pull out information the, the thing the thing is do you guys know the story with that actor 
Nope. He he doesn't I speak. I read it on the. He doesn't speak English. Oh well, that's pretty common. He for, doesn't have any idea yeah. what he was saying. So you, he just learned all his lines it. phonetically. Yeah. You're gonna love Italian cinema. They just work and work and work. They don't <laughs> care. Fair, They're like, fuck um, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> There's a few Italian characters in this. One of the there's that guy. Um, there's this guy that owns, I guess, this hotel. The hotel manager. I yeah. totally looked that guy up because I'm like, I've seen this fucking guy before. Um, I don't know in like a Fellini film or or Vittor de Secca or something like that. But this guy's been around and he has been around. I looked it up. Um, he's amazing. Yeah, but the hotel is. He's very interested in getting. Fucking Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie out of this hotel <laughs> because they are closing up for winter and he needs these fucking uh, these fucking foreigners to get out of his hotel before they close up for the season. These tourists got to get out of here. Right. Um, He's on vacation and his vacation entails like sitting in his kitchen in a bathrobe. Oh you know, that's God. his well, vacation. He was, he was sitting in his kitchen in a bathrobe with a young lady. He was talking to a oh, okay. lady. He was that's his vacation. Tiny someone. room behind the desk. Yeah, he lives he in a lives. cellar. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it was so small and there's just a set of stairs going up to this tiny little living space up behind <laughs> the desk. Yeah. <laughs> That's be great. I think uh, that yeah. they I think they put him in there as comic relief just because the movie was like there was nothing else keeping the tempo. So if it wasn't in there, there wouldn't have been anything mm-hmm. to pop you back up. However, after those scenes go, it's right back into that slower tempo. Yeah. But but uh like I found like, the phone scenes very funny, but I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> yeah. Um the there's the Italian priest, um and then the people of Italy at large, like there's a scene where one of the scenes where Donald Sutherland is lost in the alleys of Venice at night. Like, I believe there's like you sometimes see the inspector kind of following him. And there's also a very strange shot where a man's face is just leering through a screen door as he walks by that has no relevance on the plot. But it's a very like it contributes to the I think Italy is supposed to be alienating and odd and probably part of the reason why they chose to make the two sisters not Italian but tourists is because perhaps they were meant to be some kind of tether into normalcy although that only becomes apparent at the end when it's clear they're trustworthy for most of the movie it's like you don't know what those two's game is a yeah, bunch they, of mumbo jumbo. Yeah, they feel like uh, Sylvia Browns, like before Sylvia Brown was <laughs> out there, where it's just like she's plainly like just throwing these people a pile of crock. But, you know, it's just convincing old people that are scared and confused to take their money. And we kind of think right. they're doing and their that heyday too, was the 70s. You know, yeah, this yeah. was their like this was their heyday, you know, um, but just charlatans and that kind of like. But I, I actually I, I I thought that the movie was going to be mostly this sort of weird psychic thing, you know, with the sisters and Donald Sutherland's uh, premonitions and what have you. Um, But then with this subplot that I really didn't give too much thoughts because the movie does not spend any time at all discussing it. Yeah. Yeah, And then, and then it happens at the end and you discover, so the murder dwarfs, the serial killer the whole time. I got that right. I'm not an idiot. Yes. Yeah, 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 okay, yes. good. Okay. There's that, a, uh, sometimes alluded to series of murders. There's one extended sequence where they're pulling a woman's body out of the canals. One of the divers really goes for that woman's butt too. When they're pushing yeah. her into the boat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, yeah. I, I, that's why I, I one of the things that maybe sort of like okay well whatever movie was was the end scene with the murder dwarf um, just because I really did feel like it was a long walk for a little bit mm-hmm. um, you know and I don't mean that just because it was <laughs> small um, I I think that we took a long time yeah, it's a to sh- get it felt to like a shaggy dog story it was like an uh, oh, totally Henry right yeah, yeah right like oh if i didn't yeah, make yeah, yeah. those blasted kids you know yeah, yeah, like yeah. i don't know i it, it so that that sort that part sort of got to me so but again i appreciate when movies make me lean into a punch and then i get knocked in the jaw there's something to be said for that um but considering how much of the movie is about the sisters and whether or not you can trust them or not um I mean, once I understood what the Donald Sutherland seeing the sisters and Julie Christie crossing on the boat and he's calling for Laura or whatever, um, I understood what that was. I mean, this literally, I thought, six cents, he's dead already or he's going to die. Like, this is easy. Um, but it doesn't make, uh, and I thought, like, the sisters are going to kill her or something or he's going to fall. Mm. Like, I constantly thought he would just, like, fall and break his neck or whatever, um, yeah. which he almost well, does. I mean, like, they do, they, they kind yeah, of that, get into in, that in, like, a final destination sort of way. Yeah, in that scene, the first time I saw it, I was just more confused than anything else. Because as an audience member, I was like, oh, why are they there? And then, like, what is that about? Or why did that happen? So then at the end, when it pays off that it was a premonition, it's sort of like, oh, okay, well, that explains what that confusion was. And I think the whole, like, gag was supposed to be that you would feel the confusion that he feels at having the shining or whatever it was that he had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I get it. And again, I but it was just like the the when when I when the murder dwarf comes around, pulls out the straight razor, cuts his throat, I was sort of like yeah. all right, movie, if you say so. I, I mean, mean it's, very, know, it's like, very gross. It is gross. It's yeah. it's a little That's a lot of carbonation in that man's blood, my yeah. lord. <laughs> yeah. And it's I think it's one of those things, um so I have seen screen caps of the smiling face of the murder dwarf before randomly on the internet uh i think it is a bit like that thing at the end of sleepaway camp there's a still Mm. that is maybe the most famous thing in that movie and it's the big reveal still and i think don't look now if it has one commonality with sleepaway camp Uh (laughs) that its most famous frame is the big reveal still and it's like sort of a creepy image by itself in isolation that is somewhat popular online yeah, and, and that's what I. It, yeah, it's like it, Rosebud. It's the same thing. It's it's the one spoiler that every film like this. If you just have like one shot like that, that's a spoiler that you can't really come back to it and see it fresh. So like, even yeah. though you hadn't seen this movie by the time it got to the end, where you're like, oh, I think this is where that stills from. Right, and and again, if you've gone to film school, they teach this in editing class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and and as they should. I mean, like, I I appreciate that craft for what it was. I mean, I really do. Um, and, and, you know, so, but this is also not to bring it back to, but why the fuck not to bring it back to phantasm editing is what makes this movie, you know, like the same with phantasm phantasm, the editing made that movie. So it's the same with this one, just in a different way. And I think Zach's right. Far more intentional, um, that this was sort of the overall vision that he had, to begin with that I think he even I think this even happened while he was wake making it because I was going through the IMDb hole and I found that like the scene of the church was largely improvised they he had pages and pages of just overwrought dialogue and then it would when he saw them do that he was the almost like you know what lights the candle yeah mm-hmm. yeah and 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 then Donald Sutherland says I don't like this church and she's like it's beautiful what are you talking about um and 
he felt that that was enough to sort of convey the schism between the two as far as where they're at emotionally and you know probably taste and architecture i guess yeah. um, but it, it it was enough to sort of show and i actually i appreciated that to done because there's too many times when you watch especially in the fucking 70s mm-hmm. um where where a director is writing directing his own script um to sort of be married to that and i appreciate the fact that just to see the sort of performance and let that carry the day like i that's well done Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those things that, uh, you know, you can tell they probably were filming for a while and then kind of picked stuff out. Um, sometimes you get lucky like this, and then sometimes you got uh, other Bandasm. filmmakers. Yeah, <laughs> or, or other things where it's just like super long and weird. Um, I don't know, like the, the Thin Red Line was another one that I think was oh, edited God, in the same way. Jesus but fucking it was, Christ. It was so long and it was oh, rough. Oh, God. And, Gouge uh, my eyeballs But out. this was Fuck. far more entertaining than that. Yeah. <laughs> I dragged my parents to that in the theater. They both fell asleep. <laughs> and I was just sitting there like, I wish I was them. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, it, 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 but... So, like, it, it didn't really bore me, but it is like a chore. You really have to kind of yeah. slog through a lot of... And, and you have to... It relies on you to do a lot of the legwork for itself, you know? And that, that comes through in the editing, you know? And that's and well done. They're extremely yeah. effective uh, individual moments. Uh, like we said, the editing is unique and uh, influential. The way they film the distant shots of the murder dwarf in her little red Mac is pretty compelling. It's like very eye catching and mysterious. And I think it works fairly well. Um, It is by, from what I've uh, read, uh, a very referenced sort of visual. Steven Spielberg, we're talking about Schindler's List, referencing Mm -hmm. this film as one of the influences, assumedly with the use of the red in the, you know, yeah. The little girl's coat. Well, it's also like Event Horizon. They do a whole thing with a girl in a red coat. It's it's a very common it's a very common thing now. Yeah. And 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 this one, like I said, it, it's a different sort of payoff. Maybe it's just because I've been so ingrained with that and I thought this payoff was gonna be something completely different. Um, you know, you have no context of this red dwarf even existing. You know, you have a context dwarf, of yeah. some <laughs> serial killer out there, but you have nothing to suggest that this is an actual thing. You know, unlike Phantasm, that manifest that nemesis is has doesn't have a name, but you know who the fuck he is. You know, like you, but with this person you're like, oh, but again, that's the point of the movie. The movie is to make you sort of chase after this and then I stab you. You know, like that's clearly the point of the movie okay one thing real quick i'm going to give zach a point because he laughed when you said red dwarf ah. <laughs> okay and uh do we have more thoughts on this guys are we ready for final final conclusions on this puppy yeah i don't know i, uh, I, I got one more thought and i just wanted to okay. ask this because like and because i read this i i tried to this was one of those movies where i felt like that after I was done with it. I'm like, I'm going to have to read something about this uh, because <laughs> like, I, 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 the fact that both of you said, oh, I, I, Borif loves it, but that doesn't fucking surprise me. Um, <laughs> it, 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 uh, so I read up about it and they talked about the reason why, because if you notice throughout the movie, whenever somebody uses a telephone, they're completely baffled. They're completely befuddled about like, hello, mm-hmm. are you there? Can yeah. you hear me? Uh-huh. Uh, yes, it's me. Yes, it's me. 
Hello, are you there? Hi, John. No, we're fine. Hello. <laughs> you know, everyone's just completely yeah, they, mystified they, by this yeah, they, thing. They play up the bit of like bad international connections a lot yes. in this movie. Yeah. Uh, so is Not the, okay. have to tell you we've that a, makes a, a lot more sense bump to, me. to your child's head <laughs> that that i mean that that the 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 if it's a bit about like international communication fucking sucks in the 70s i'm here for that i really am but as i was reading about the movie Evergreen oh it's about yeah. the communication <laughs> see donald sutherland is an esp guy so he's not getting proper communication or reception so that's also translated with the phones and i'm like oh, maybe Maybe it's maybe. two things, Russell. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I think I think it's just that was a classic bit they would do in the seventies. Like that was that was also something they'd really have to deal with. Like you'd have friends going on like I think a lot of people during that time period probably had friends going to hostels in some weird foreign yeah. country. And, you know, they have old old phone I, line connections, so sound problems are common. I'm definitely yeah. not old like I guess was it just a thing that like, cause I've seen this old movies, but you could just yell at the operator and the operator was just like there. <laughs> oh, well, that's back, well, that what that was back when uh, there was a party line like this is a this is a piece of history. Like it used to be when you would pick up, they wouldn't have phones in every house. So they'd have an operator sitting there standing by waiting for some random Yahoo farmer to pick up his horn and start screaming into it. And then she'd go, oh, Johnny. And then she'd be like, oh, who do you want to talk to? Oxbow 619. Okay. And then they would start plugging things in. And then suddenly these, you know, the, the squirrels would move a little bit and people in far distant places would both scream into tiny little horns at each other. You know, it'd be great. I was just, I, I, I just had to laugh every time somebody used a phone in this fucking movie. I just laughed my ass off because everybody's just completely like confused. It's like, it's that thing. Uh, it's an MSC3K reference, but mm -hmm. anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I can give my final thoughts about this movie. Um, Cause you know, I, I, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. You know, that, that's, that's for a movie like this, it's about as good as you could expect because I, I I get annoyed or at least sort of on my haunches when the whole point of your movie is to show when the style is the one dictating the narrative. I'm always kind of bristly towards that. Um, but that being said, it's performed well by Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland. It really is a movie that makes the general horror about human emotion which i think is fantastic um i definitely understand the style and why it's revolutionary i understand why this thing's considered a classic i do um i just didn't particularly enjoy watching it um you know that's so that's about where i'm at with it yeah yeah uh i definitely there are um like i said like i read a little bit about uh this movie afterwards and its influence and it is widely like regarded as an influence on a lot of movies from Christopher Nolan to Ryan Murphy, the whole spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the one that stuck out to me the most and upon reflection, something that, uh, was very obvious because I think tonally there's a lot of similarities, even though there are different genres of films. Um, uh, Michael McDonough says, in Bruges was very heavily influenced by this film. I think they huh. like name it. I think they mention it by name in that movie. Um, and it feels very similar. It's a little European town and these people are kind of lost. And it's got this fairy tale feel. Crazy sort of architecture. Yeah. Feel. yeah. 
Yeah. There's, there's also there's also dread. People. Yeah. Mm. Yes. <laughs> little people feature prominently in both who are mistaken for others. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that that was an odd thing in these in these that uh, we we managed to get murder dwarves. It's it's yeah. a thing. Yeah. That, so balls in your court later on, but yeah. All right. Said uh I mentioned last week that I wasn't sure if I had seen this movie I felt like I hadn't or that I had started it and never finished it. And I realize now his name is Martin McDonough, not Michael McDonough. I should clarify that before people try to <laughs> But I realize now what happened was about probably before we did the old podcast, uh, I started watching this movie one night when I was giving myself my, my home curated horror sort of education. And A master's course. Exactly. And I didn't finish it. And I realize now it's because... I didn't, I was bored by it <laughs> and I never came back to it. I just never came back to it. And now I've come back and finished it and I can appreciate it more than I could have when I was a 16 year old, but it's still, a little it's still pretty fucking boring. It's kind of still, kind of still boring. And I hate, I, I am not a proponent of people being like, Usually when people say a movie is boring, I'm not a fan of it. Like, I've, I saw a lot of people saying that about, like, recently I saw somebody online saying that about Midsummer. I'm like, no, that movie's no, not boring that's, at all. No. This no. is, this though, I, it is a yeah. little boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, I understand there's things that I really appreciate about it. I think it's revolutionary. It really feels like a companion piece to The Wicker Man, which is also a British film that came out the exact same year. And I think in some ways has similar peaks and valleys to this film um, from what I remember of it. Um, yeah. I'm glad I saw it. I don't know that I'll ever watch this again. A lot of movies in the 70s are like that, Zach. Don't sweat it. You know, yeah. it's, you know I've seen Apocalypse Now once. I got it. That's, I you know, like Apocalypse I got Now it. a lot. I, will watch <laughs> yeah, I, would watch I love that, that again movie. Yeah. Well, I, it's been a minute. It's been about twenty years since I've seen it. I think it's about right time I rewatch it. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Um, yeah. The uh, the deal with it is this: like for me, I feel much the same way you did. Like I like parts of this. I think it's intellectually very valuable. For a lot of editors, it's valuable. But it is pretty slow. Um, and I uh, a movie can do a lot of things, but it can't bore me. Um, mm-hmm. like that's the thing like I can be offended by it like I don't like I don't think I've ever liked the Lars von Trier movie but I would never say that well outside of Melancholia I wouldn't call one boring well I would Jesus. just say they're now offensive I'll never see that movie Borif congratulations oh you did that, it. I, that I think Melancholia is boring no that I'll never see I mean I, of Lars von Trier I'm very picky and choosy about it I've never seen it but now you've yeah. confirmed I'll probably won't watch that yeah no unless nah, you want to make me no, no, I don't, because um, then I would have to force myself, and I don't want to do that. Um, but yeah, uh, my whole take on it was that I, you know, I like the film for what it was. I like the time period it came out in. I do like Nicholas Rogue. I think he does a lot of interesting editing. I don't think this one was particularly exciting. I think that uh, I think this he might have done like Demon Seed later on in his career. I think that might be correct. And uh, I know that he also did The Man Who Fell to Earth, which itself was a little bit slow, but was still interesting. Yeah, good um, music. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was David Bowie the soundtrack on that? I'm kind no, of, I but I think he sang a couple songs. I mean, it's called The Man Who Fell to Earth, for God's oh, sake. Oh, that's right. Um, 
He so, did yeah. do a lot of music with bands too. Rogue did. I mean, he he loves musicians. So yeah, um, uh, that's kind of it for me on that one. Um, do you want me to throw the? Uh, is this when we announce the next movie? Yeah, so we. I, I think now is this time is that two enter. murder dwarf movies, two <laughs> movies that are very of the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't touched the sixties as much, so we'll see. That could be well, uh, but I think I think we also have avoided a lot of the major stone cold classics of the period. I don't think Chris is going to pick one though. I think he's going to uh, pick something uh, a little weirder. No, I, I guarantee you 100%. I will make this bet now. I'll bet my whole life savings that it's not. <laughs> Not one of the, the Stone Cold class. The yeah. thing is, the thing is this. Um, it's hilarious for me because of all this joking, like back and forth in texts for about a week or so, we've been going back and forth with them saying, oh, I bet it's this one. Oh, I bet it's that one. A lot of good picks from this period. They haven't managed to guess the entire time until just before right now when you said the Wicker Man. So it's oh, the Wicker Man. Oh, snap! Oh, snap! Oh, snap! <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, 1973's Robin Hardy classic, The Wicker Man. Uh, the only film he made, uh, which is just sort of a surprise. Well, no, he made three films, but this is the only one that anyone cares about. Wow. Yeah, very. I'm excited to see Classic I'm Christopher Lee. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I'm, I'm super psyched. That's amazing. Um, yeah, this is this is the great part about the shows because, like, considering that Don't Look Now and Wicker Man are more or less kind of cousins, kind of like what we were talking about with Blind Same Spotting and um, Blind Spotting and uh, Sorry to Bother You. Mm-hmm. You know, to sort of so now we're actually gonna settle the debate, really, aren't we? I mean, we're actually gonna clear mm-hmm. this up. Yeah, yeah. So this is good. This I, is good. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I also. I'm glad for this. I'm glad that we got for this uh, horror movie segment this time period answer because prior to this, of the six movies we had watched, I think <laughs> four had come out five years <laughs> or more recently. Hey, we did Rear Window. We that, did Rear you know. Window and, yeah. uh, and Police Academy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's another beauty yeah. of the show. You don't just trap your co-hosts. You trap yourself. Yeah, we, we haven't been too chronologically chronologically diverse yet in any of these themes. We'll have to see how extreme we can get someday. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to a Wicker Man. I haven't seen it. Probably my self-described horror education. Probably the last mm-hmm. time I watched that movie. Oh, I think I was. In, I'm sure it's got to be better than the Nicolas Cage one written by oh, that yeah. misogynist. Oh yeah. No, no, we're not. Yeah, specifically not the. We're not doing the remake. Uh, yeah. Carlson, you've seen it before, right? Yeah. I have. Damn the okay, man. Yeah. You better believe it. All right. Can't go wrong with Christopher Lee. Yeah, well, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You (laughs) very much can go wrong with Christopher Lee. You can't be mad at Christopher Lee. No, you can't. Well, Fu Manchu. There was was also that time that he played the the founder of Pakistan. But he was also well-loved in that part by people people in Pakistan. So it's an interesting challenge. We can get into it Unlike next week. Unlike what? Fu Manchu? <laughs> oh yeah. No, that one's that one's full on. I mean, they're both kind of race bending. It's an interesting argument. Okay. So, uh <laughs> we have a challenge. We do. We we are ready to do the Wicker Man. And this will conclude our Halloween trilogy. We'll see who gets the bonus of an extra film mm-hmm. at the end of this uh at the end of this all. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to wrap it up next week, guys. 
Alrighty. Well, I guess on that note, we'll close in uh, reverse chronological alphabetical order. <laughs> what? I'm the oldest, but my name goes first. <laughs> You're the That's oldest right. with the first name. First and last name goes first. Russell's oh, in the middle. His yes. name first and last goes second. Oh, man. I'm the youngest. My name first and last. Oh, we man. Are, we have literally order. the oh. easiest namesakes as far as all of it and age sakes oh. to do yes. this right, and yes. we have yes. yet to do it. It's easy. Oh, my God. I've been Chris Borff. It's no been great. No matter what order. I'll see y'all. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh, okay. God. Good I've been Russell Carlson. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I have been Zach Powers. Z, end of the alphabet. P, it's behind B and C. <laughs> Find him. He just you left. Him. You must find him. You must find him. him. When did he leave? Just she now. told Where'd you to leave. I don't know. She told you. You must you know where he went. Why did he, he say he was going? She no. told you. I don't leave know. Leave Venice. Venice.